Canal. That was actually a goose, not a duck. Is this on? We're recording. Welcome, everybody. In 1955, my dad won the Missouri Valley World Champion Duck and Goose Calling Contest. <laughs> and he won many subsequent, subsequent World Champion uh, Contests for Duck Calling and Goose Calling. As a matter of fact, he made his living for almost two decades traveling the country, um, selling his own duck calls, goose calls, and water skis. Back before the invention of fiberglass water skis, all the water skis were wood. And uh, he had the largest water ski manufacturing uh, company in the South. And so he would travel and he would MC boat and motor shows and outdoor shows. And he would sell duck calls and, uh, and, and water skis. And I remember I was maybe third grade, third or fourth grade. It was elementary school, somewhere in the middle of elementary school. And I brought my dad for show and tell. Like, not his duck call, not his water ski, but him, because he was my hero, and he could do these amazing things. And so even though I could, he had taught me how to call ducks and call geese and taught me how to water ski, like, I couldn't do any of those things nearly as well as he could. And I can remember at that time wanting everybody that I knew, all my friends in school, to see my dad. I didn't want him just to see the duck call. I didn't want him to see just the water skis. I didn't want him to see just the personality. I wanted them to see my dad. He was what I brought for show and tell. This week, we're going to look at a text where I think in a very similar way, Peter and John encounter a situation and everybody starts looking at them and they're like, no, 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 no. No. It's not about us. It's about him. Don't look at us. Look at him. So pray with me as we begin this week. God, it seems so easy to lose sight to think we're seeing when we're really not, to think we're hearing when we're really not, to think we know when we are totally ignorant. And this weekend, when we remember those who have given their lives for the freedom of this country, we also remember all those who have gone before us, this great cloud of witnesses who have handed us what we have, who we receive from. God, prepare us now even more to hear your word, to really hear it. Prepare us to see you in it, to really see you. And to know you, God, to really know you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, welcome to Grace Church. We don't always call geese to start 
worship service may become a thing. I don't know. Maybe that's how we'll do it from now on. Y'all responded really well. Um, my name is John Ray. I'm one of the teaching elders. We do not have Facebook Live, but we do have the podcast being recorded, so welcome if you're listening on the podcast with that on this holiday weekend. Um, this summer, as a church, we are working our way through the first part of Acts. And what we've seen so far is this group of believers, this group of followers of Jesus, who encounter the resurrected Jesus, who receive his commands, who are learning how to obey, not perfectly, as we've already studied some, there, there may have been some missteps along the way in their obedience, but they're, as a whole, they are learning how to respond to the new reality that the kingdom is, in fact, among them, that the world has, in fact, changed, and that that change is permeating every aspect of their lives and of society. And so, at this point in our story, the the group is together. Pentecost has passed. All these people who have come into Jerusalem for that celebration and who responded and were added to the church, 3,000 on one, on one big swoop. We don't know how many others after that. But they've decided to stay there in Jerusalem. And they are meeting together. They are sharing meals. They are meeting each other's needs. They are holding things in common. Nobody has a need among them. And they are going to the temple daily for prayer. And that's where our story picks up. We don't know exactly how long it's taken between the Pentecost of the, of the coming of the Holy Spirit with the tongues of fire and the adding on, but a, a period of time has passed. And it says, one day at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, Peter and John were on their way to the temple for prayer meeting. Now, let's just pause as we start here, and I'm just going to read it as a story again. If you want to follow along, this is Acts 3, and I'm reading from the message. In our teaching team this, this week, we talked about how different Peter and John are going to appear here from the Peter and John we encountered when Donnie taught a few months ago, who were in the boat scared on the water how different their approach to the miraculous seems. Whereas before, as they were learning, as they were fresh, young disciples of Jesus and wanting to experience miraculous things, maybe for their own gratification, maybe to show off, maybe because they <coughs> understood it differently. Here, they have a total, totally different relationship to the miraculous workings of the Holy Spirit of God. And if we, if we don't really understand the importance of that, if we don't really understand the importance of that, we miss so much of the power of Scripture. Look, if Peter and John, these guys we call saints, these guys we venerate, right? If they had to learn, if they had to make mistakes, if they had to have misunderstandings, if they, even with all their good intentions and being called by Jesus, approached this in... in and weren't fully formed when they prayed the prayer or came out of the waters of baptism, then what about us? To me, it's incredibly hope-filling is that God, God had, it took time to work with these women and men. It will take time with us. But it's fascinating to see the change in their demeanor and their approach here as compared to just a few months ago when we were studying them in Acts or in Matthew. 
So let's continue with the text. At the same time, there was a man crippled from birth being carried up. Every day he was set down at the temple gate, the one named Beautiful, to beg from those going to the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to enter the temple, he asked for a handout. Peter, with John at his side, looked, straight him, looked him straight in the eye and said, Look here. And he looked up, expecting to get something from them. And Peter said, I don't have a nickel to my name, but what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Walk. He grabbed him by the right hand and pulled him up. In an instant, his feet and ankles became firm. He jumped to his feet and walked. The man went into the temple with them, walking back and forth, dancing and praising God. Everybody there saw him walking around and praising God. They recognized him as the one who sat begging at the temple gate. Beautiful. And rubbed, they rubbed their eyes, astonished, scarcely believing what they were seeing. The man threw his arms around Peter and John, ecstatic. All the people ran up to where they were at, where they were at Solomon's porch to see for themselves. When Peter saw his congregation, he had a congregation. I like that. He's like, okay, I got a group. He addressed the people. Oh, Israelites, why does this take you by such complete surprise? And why stare at us as if by our power and piety, we made him walk? The God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the God of our ancestors, has glorified his son, Jesus. And, and it's important that we stop here and note that this is what we see. Remember how we talked about Who's, who's the hero of the story? It's not Peter and John. It's not the crippled man being healed. The hero of the story is God, the Holy Spirit. The hero of the story is God, is Jesus, the Son of God. The hero of the story is God, the Father. That's who the hero of the story is, and, they, and they're quick. Even though he sees the congregation, even though he sees the opportunity... He is quick to seize on that to point to someone else, to point to God. And he goes on, he says, The very one that Pilate called innocent, you repudiated. You repudiated the Holy One, the Just One, and asked for a murderer in his place. No sooner, you no sooner killed the author of life than God raised him from the dead, as we, and we are the witnesses. Faith in Jesus' name put this man whose condition you know so well on his feet. Yes, faith and nothing but faith put this man healed and whole and right before your eyes. And it's interesting to consider here whose faith are they talking about? It wasn't the man that was healed. You ever thought about that? Like, like the guy who looks up, he's, they didn't ask him to pray a prayer. They didn't ask him if he believed. They didn't, he didn't cry out in Jesus' name. So it wasn't the person being healed. And we could say that it was the faith of Peter and John, right? Like they are the ones. They are the ones that spoke it out. They are the ones that called him to stand up. They are the ones that did that. And yes, that is true. But ultimately, ultimately I believe the faith that is being talked about here is the faithfulness of Jesus. That the power that they result, the power that they are investing, the name of Jesus comes from the faithfulness of Jesus. And this is the way it is for all of us. It is always God acting towards us. God is not reluctant 
to meet us. God is not standing off. The faithfulness of Jesus is ever turned towards us. And what we see in this story is that it is so much about our posture of are we going to look up? Even if we don't understand, are we willing to look up and see? Well, Peter goes on. He says, and now, friends, I know you had no idea what you were doing when you killed Jesus. Neither did your leaders. But God, who through the preaching of all the prophets had said all along that his Messiah would be killed, knew exactly what you were good at doing and used it to fulfill his plans. Now it's time to change your ways. Because if they were innocent before, because they didn't know, they're not innocent now because now they know. So because they know, what is the proper response? He says, now is the time to change your ways. Turn to face God so he can wipe away your sins, pour out showers of blessings to refresh you, send the Messiah. And send to you the Messiah is prepared for you, namely Jesus. For the time being, it must remain out of sight in heaven until everything is restored to order again, just the way God, through the preaching of his holy prophets of old, said it would be. Moses, for instance, said, Your God will raise up for you a prophet just like me from your family. Listen to every word he speaks to you. Every last living soul who refuses to listen to that prophet will be wiped out from the people. All the prophets from Samuel on down said the same thing said most emphatically that these days would come. These prophets, along with the covenant God made, made, with the covenant God made with your ancestors, are your family tree. God's covenant word to Abraham provides the text. And here we go back to what we've studied as the Abrahamic covenant. By your offspring, all the families of the earth will be blessed. But you are first in line. God, having raised up his son, sent him to bless you as you turn one by one from your evil ways. God is doing what God said God would do. The big question throughout Scripture that was asked then and is asked now and will be asked until God sums up all things is, can God be trusted? Is God really going to do what God says God's going to do? The people then were asking it. People now are asking it. And that's why the answer when it came through Jesus in the church, here we see the evidence that the answer is yes, God can be trusted. Yes, God is going to do what God has promised. That's why it was so amazing to the early church as they started to look back through the Torah, through the prophets, through the Old Testament. And then they looked at Jesus and they go, Jesus means yes. Jesus is the, is the affirmation of everything that was promised. He is the fulfillment of everything that was promised. Here is the evidence. The evidence given in and through the early church starts to rock Jerusalem. It starts to rock Jerusalem. They really shake things up with what they were offering and who they were proclaiming was making it all possible. Because next week, what we're going to see is this does not come without opposition. For these past few weeks, what we've seen is honeymoon. It really is. It's a honeymoon time for the church. They're preaching freely. 
They're healing people. People are responding. People are sharing. Everybody loves one another. It's all good. But that time period is not going to last. As a matter of fact, that's not even going to be the majority of the experience. But for right now, man, things are hopping and they are good. So those of you who have been tracking with this study, you know that we're taking it a little differently and we're asking the book of Acts questions. And then we're letting the book ask us questions in response. We are in dialogue because these, he says, indeed, in the text, he said, this is your family tree. This is our family tree. These are our ancestors. We can trace our lineage as a church, however tenuously, back to these stories. We're here because of these stories. We're here because of these people. These were real people, real places. They are related to us. We are related to them, and so we're in dialogue with them. And the first question that I would ask would be this. How did y'all know y'all had this power? Like, I don't know, I don't know about y'all, but I see people in need on a regular basis. Anybody else? You see people that are sick? You see people that are hurting? You see people that are needy? Whether it's physical ailment, mental illness, maybe they've lost a job, maybe their family's coming apart, maybe they've been accused of something. We see people in need all the time. And I am motivated oftentimes from compassion to try to do something about that. I want to help. I want to see that. But what's the first thing that often comes in our mind? I I don't have anything for that person. Right? I mean, I can hug them, I can encourage them, but I, I can't heal a broken leg. I can't snap my fingers and restore a broken marriage. I can't I can't just all of a sudden conjure up some miracle to change someone's situation with that. And so I look at this and I go, what? I want to ask Peter, I want to ask John, I want to ask church, how did you know it was going to work? Like, how did you know? Because we don't, the text doesn't tell us, the text doesn't tell us, and thus Peter received the word of the Lord. And Jesus saith unto Peter, Reach out thine hand, right? There's none of that in the text. We don't see it. How did he know? How did he know that when he reached his hand down, it wasn't going to be a total mess? Like he was going to end up just dragging this poor guy across the floor, right? Like that would have been horrible. What? I, I want to know that. And, and here's... I want us to contemplate that question. The only answer I can come up with that that starts me down the road is, he had seen Jesus do it. He was just imitating Jesus. I don't think he got some kind of electric vibration going through his body that told him the healing power was switched on, you know? Like, I, I think he was risking. I think he was willing to be made a fool. I think he was willing to be wrong. But he had seen Jesus do it. Jesus said, you could do it. So he tried it. Well, if that's true, then then they ask us, I think Peter asked us the question 
what power are we operating from? How are we making our decisions? Like when we do encounter the people in need, we do encounter the people in crisis, we do encounter these things, what am I tapping into? Who am I imitating? I mean, assuming that I'm not going to get some kind of special Holy Spirit email into my head that says, healing power on, try now. What am I doing? And I think for me, I'm not going to speak for all of us, I'm not going to speak for y'all, but oftentimes the power I'm operating from is fear. I don't want to look stupid. I don't, want to, I don't want to risk that and fail. I think the other thing is, honestly, it's just lack of faith. It's like, I don't, want to, I don't want to make this person feel bad either. Like, I don't want to come up and pray for someone for something miraculous to happen that doesn't happen, then that person feels bad, and then everybody feels bad, and then it's real awkward to see them, and you're like, oh, yeah, hi. Right? I don't, I, so it's just... Like, again, you're going to have to answer this question this week. We're going to have to answer this question as a church. What power are we operating from? Do Do we operate by faith or do we operate by fear? Do we operate by concern for social norms? Want everybody to be okay. We don't want to ruffle things. We don't want anything to be awkward. Or is there another way to operate? I think I think that's what we're being asked. The next thing is what motivated y'all to stay together in Jerusalem? So, remember what, when Ryan taught, Ryan uh, Grace taught about that thing we call the Great Commission? You remember that? Into Matthew? What, what did Jesus tell the disciples to do? Come on, this one's easy. Great Commission. Make disciples, but, he said, but the first word that he said is... Go. Go into where? All the world, all nations, and make disciples. Teach them everything that I've taught you, right? And we talked about how it seemed a little incongruous that right after that he said, wait, right? Hurry up and wait. <laughs> Go stop. So, so we know that at least at some point in their consciousness, they're like, hey, Jesus told us to go. We're supposed to be going all the world, but then he said to wait for the Holy Spirit. And then I think they could imagine, he goes, oh, okay, but before we go, we have to get the Holy Spirit. So we got that. But then, is it, do we go now? Like, if we were to wait for the Holy Spirit, we got the Holy Spirit now, so is, is, now, the, is now the time to go? Like, how do we do this, Right? I can see them around, and they're looking through Scripture, and they go, let's see, what, did Moses say anything? Isaiah say anything? What about Jeremiah? You know? Like, how do we figure this out? How do we do this? I want to ask him, what, why did you stay? Why were you still there? If Jesus said, go into all the world, but wait first, wait until you get the Holy Spirit, and they got the Holy Spirit, why are they still in Jerusalem? I don't know. I kind of think I kind of think they were still in the honeymoon. 
honestly. I think it was still so good. I think they were seeing all these people come, and they were seeing the healings and stuff, that it was natural just to kind of like, hey, let's, let's put down roots in Jerusalem. Like, this is, this is going well. Why leave a good thing? I think, I think that may be part of it. But then it begs the question, well, how are we making our decisions? Are we making decisions because it's easy? Like it seems good here? And we're, and we're staying because of circumstances? Or are we staying for something different? Why, how do we make those major decisions in our life? What do, we, what do we do? How do we do that? Because what we're going to see is that as we continue with this story, is that a lot of the decisions for the people in Acts are made for them. There is some conscious obedience where, where the Holy Spirit will come and say go, and then it'll direct and they'll go and do. But a lot, a lot of the movement of the church in Acts comes from external circumstances that force them to make changes with that. And I think we need to reflect and say, if we have the choice how are we making those choices? And then the last thing I said, I would ask, or I feel like we would be asking Acts, is what is it ultimately that y'all were offering? Right? The people are coming. They're showing up. Miracles are happening. Jerusalem is being stirred up. What is it that they were offering? Well, I think it goes back to the same thing I was offering at Show and Tell, which was my dad. Like, I think they were really offering Jesus. For all the stumbles, for all the false starts, for all the ways they may have misunderstood, I really believe the early church, it was all about Jesus. They were offering Jesus. And, of course, that begs the reciprocal question, then what are we offering? When people come to Grace Church, what are we offering them? As Grace Church, as we go out into Fayetteville and to Springdale and Bentonville and Rogers and Siloam, what are we offering? What message is our life, our collective life, proclaiming to this area when we go. You see, the early church, they were not offering hypothetical answers. They were not offering platitudes for living your best life now or esoteric options for enlightenment. They were offering community, healing, Provision here and now. They were offering the opportunity of living in the provision and promises of God. They were offering Jesus, flesh and blood Jesus. Not idea Jesus, not philosophy Jesus, not religion Jesus. Person of Jesus. Is that what we share? Or do we share ideas about God and Jesus? 
strategies for people to get their lives together and be good. Instructions. Those are all important, but it's not enough. You know, um, <clears throat> there's a big difference. Jane and I, obviously, you know, we've traveled quite a bit all over the world and trying to find our way without GPS and without maps in different places. And we have this joke in our house, whenever you ask directions, you just say, it's five minutes, <laughs> right? Like, because especially in Russia, you would ask, you know, how, do you, how long is that? And they'd say, it's five minutes, whether it was five minutes or an hour. It was just always five minutes down the road, right? It's five minutes. <laughs> and we all know, we, I think most of us have had that experience of someone sitting down to offer us complicated instructions. You know, go down here, turn left, and go, and then turn right, and do this. Versus the person that says, hey, just follow me. I'll show you. Jump in the car, I'll show you. Well, as a church, we have, we have that choice. To our area, to our friends, we can say, hey, here's how you follow Jesus. Go down here, follow this, do this, follow these rules. Look like this, smell like this, eat like this, worship this way, believe these things. Or we can say, come on, come with us. I'll show you. We'll show you. Come be part. I can't explain it to you. It's too difficult. I don't even, I don't even know how to explain it. Just come, be, just come be with us. Come be part of what we're doing. What is it we're offering, Grace Church? I want to end with this as the worship team comes up. Um, We've got some great resources that we're working through with the teaching team this summer relating to Acts. And one of the commentaries, Matthew Skinner says this. He says, The preaching in Acts does not threaten future punishment or suffering for non-believers. The negative outcome mentioned in the sermons is the prospect of non-participation in the people of God and the blessing they enjoy. This is not hellfire and brimstone. This is, this is Peter literally saying, don't miss it. Don't miss the blessing of the community. He goes on to say, the communities that form Acts take on crucial importance for our understanding what it means to discover God. Even though it can be easy to overlook the communities because of the heavy attention the narrative gives to Peter and Paul and others who occupy the limelight, these individual speakers all represent larger groups. And Jesus resides in these groups. Jesus is settled in among humanity, still working, still saving. We find him manifest in the Christian communities. Or at least we're supposed to. Are we offering Jesus? When people walk into our communities here, is that who they find with that? I think that's the question Acts is asking us this week. So we're going to take some time now to reflect on this, to consider it. Uh, the past few weeks we've been doing something, especially, you know, it's, it's interesting when we have all the kids in here, it looks kind of full and all the kids leave and it kind of spreads out. So as you come up and take communion, we'd ask you, you don't have to, but if you could stay close, sit down closer for the remaining time of worship, um, that's a big part of the ethos. It's a big part of the practice of Acts. It says they were coming together. We can, we can tangibly represent that. Is come up, grab your, the elements, and then sit close for the remainder of the service as we do that. Um, Jeff is also going to lead us in a 
time of reflection specifically over the things we've considered today. Towards the end, we'll take up an offering, just as sign and symbol that none of us here is without something to give and none of us here is without something to receive with that. Our table's open to all who are seeking Jesus, all who want to find Jesus, to be nourished by Jesus. Thank you for being here this morning.